0: worship leaders, and worship musicians. Maybe you're like me where you're going to tackle a new recording project this year. Well, there's an important question you should answer first. Are my songs ready to hit record? If you're going to go through all that work to save them for posterity, your songs need to pass these three tests. Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Worship Homestead. My name is Nathan Smith. Thanks for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking about how to get your songs ready for a recording project. At the outset, when it's just you and your guitar and you and your piano, there's a lot that you can do before it's time to hit record and bring in all of that extra production that you want to make it sound so big. Well, your song needs to get through these three challenges first. But before I talk about that, I want to give you something. If you go to my website, blueprintsounds.com, you can get access to my free bundle called the Worship Booster Pack. It has five different modules to help out every aspect of your worship team. There's how to build a better band. This PDF takes you through all of the elements that make a full band and what the job of each one of those elements is and what the job is not so that you don't have people playing in other people's space. There's cheat codes for church sound. This has 25 quick wins for your sound engineer to make your live sound or your live stream better instantly. There's 25 chart-topping arrangement tricks. If you have a band or you're working on a project in the studio and the song needs that extra gear, download this PDF and it gives you 25 great ideas for ways to make your song more interesting. There's five elements of a full sounding worship team. This is a workshop that I usually charge for when I visit churches, but I'm giving you for free. It has musical examples of how a band forms together to make the fullest sound possible. And importantly, it tells you where not to play and where to play and how to play on your instrument. Finally, there's 10 commandments of worship songwriting. If songwriters could just follow these 10 commandments, their songs would instantly improve. And again, I'm giving all of this away as part of my worship booster pack for free. Just go to my website or click on the link nearby, blueprintsounds.com forward slash worship booster pack. All right, with that said, let's get through the three tests that your song needs to pass in order to be record worthy. The first test is a songwriting test. Let's say that you have a pretty typical songwriting structure verse one, chorus one, verse two, chorus two, and then the rest is up for grabs. Maybe you have a bridge and then do the chorus again. Well, the first question that you need to ask and be honest with yourself about is, does my second verse keep people's interest? Is there a good reason why you should listen to my second verse? When I listen to a new worship song, I'll give the first verse a try. I'll give the first chorus a try. Okay, they're building up to it. But if by the second verse they haven't kept my attention, I know that they're not, they're not going to get it back, right? There's nothing interesting. Here's what often happens. The first verse acts as your setup. Hey, you should listen to me because, well, this is what I want to talk about. The first chorus, and really all the choruses are, your one big thought, right? Think of Goodness of God. What's that song about? It's about the goodness of God? Or you think about amazing grace. Okay, it's about amazing grace. You have one thought that you can hold in that chorus. So, what's the second verse for? After you've had your setup and your one big thought, the second verse is conflict in some form or fashion. Maybe it can mean that you're moving forward in time Maybe it can mean that you're moving forward in space or that you're bringing a different idea, something new that people haven't thought of in the first verse or the first chorus. If your song has that, it tells everybody that's listening, oh, there's a reason to keep listening. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. That wasn't in the first verse or second, or or, I'm sorry, first verse or first chorus. But if your second verse doesn't move if it's either a rehash of verse one, you just say the same thing, or there's no movement in time or space, there's nothing, there's nothing different about verse two, that they could easily be swapped out with verse one, then the entire audience does this. You may or may not get them back on that next chorus. Who knows? Depends on how good your chorus is but you don't want to lose your audience's interest by not moving the ball forward. So the first challenge that your song has to face, and you have to be really honest, type out the lyrics and and look down the story or have somebody else do it for you who's honest, is, is my second verse interesting in any way? Does it bring conflict? Does it move the story forward in time or space? Is there a conflicting argument or or is there a new perspective in verse two? If there is, awesome, great job, not a lot of writers get that right the first time. If there isn't, then you probably have some work to do. Test number two, is my bassline interesting? Now by interesting, I don't mean funky or complex. It doesn't have to be complex to be good. But is my bass line moving in a way where if I was just to take the melody and the bassline, the song would make sense. The bass, even though it's at the bottom and sometimes it seems kind of hidden, is actually the most important instrument in your band. If your melody and your bass work well together and they make sense, your song is already on a really good footing because the bass provides two things. Number one, it provides the floor of your harmony. Say if you had a C chord and the bass played a C, well, the the chord is gonna sound like a C, but if it plays an A, your chord is going to sound like an A minor 7. The bass is the last word as to what your chord sounds like. So it's really important that you get that right. Secondly, the bass provides the rhythmic fingerprint or the groove for your song. It tells the kick drum what to do, and the kick drum tells the entire band what the groove is going to be. So when the bass and the kick drum for the drummer are locked in and feeling good, the whole song feels good. When they aren't, when they're clashing or when they're, they're not together or it's just not interesting and there's no groove there, it doesn't matter what you do with production. You can add all the synths and bells and whistles and that reverb that sounds so lovely on somebody's vocal. You can add all of that and the song is still going to fall flat because the foundation of your song is provided by the bass and the drums. So that's your second challenge. Is my bass line interesting? Does it groove? Even on a slow song, does it does it keep people's interest, get in their bodies, and make them want to move? Because if it does, you're going to have a good chance of success with your song. If it doesn't, it doesn't matter. How much you add, it's not going to go anywhere. And finally, and this is the hard one, is your melody singable and memorable? Here's why this is so hard. Two reasons. Number one, It's really hard to give advice about a melody unless you're sitting in front of it. You know, people will say, hey, make sure that your melody is singable. And then you as the songwriter are thinking, well, how do I know? That's really tough because if you wrote the song, you are somewhat attached to it, right? I mean, if you didn't like it, you wouldn't have finished it. So the fact that you like it and you're attached to that melody means that you've lost perspective because it has a little bit become your baby. Well, obviously, if you could find a musician that you, um, that you respect, they could help you out. But the, the really fast way to do it is to play it for an audience. Now, that can be really scary, especially at first. But unless you do that, unless you field test your melody, you're not going to know. Let me give you an example. So I wrote a song years ago called He Lives, and it had the first two things going for it. The second verse moved the story forward. Great job, me. The uh, bass line was interesting, had really interesting chords, and the the rhythm was somewhat challenging. I had to practice to, to get it to the point where I could play it. Great job, me. The third test, my song failed. It was too jumpy, both the verse and the chorus, especially the verses. The melody was too jumpy. It went up and down and up and down. And I could sing it because I had practiced it and because I'm a professional musician. When I played it for my home church, I noticed that they watched. They didn't participate. Not a good sign. I, I, I tried it for months. You know, I, I kept coming back to it and be like, because I really like it. There's things about it that make me feel like, oh, I'm impressive as a songwriter that I could write that or that I could do that. That's never a good attitude to have because you never want to talk down to your audience and you never want to get so big for your britches. That also makes you lose perspective. Fun tip. So I kept trying it and kept finding that that people didn't enter into the song, didn't participate with me as much as I hoped they would. On other songs that I wrote, there was one song that I wrote that I had to keep going because people wouldn't let me stop singing it that's a good melody. If people sing along by the third chorus and then they want to keep going, well, that's a good song. It's, it's pretty cut and dry. You don't need a degree to figure that out. If they want to sing the song more, it's working. If they don't and they just watch you and they're like, oh, that was very nice. That was good. You don't want a song like that. Lionel Richie said it best. He said, I don't write songs that I can sing. I write songs that they can sing. That's how you know that you've got a great melody. There's another factor that sort of hinders younger musicians and young songwriters, and that is the way that we have changed writing songs. I don't know if you know this, but many songs nowadays that you hear on the radio are written backwards. They're written production, beat, all of that comes first, and then they bring in somebody who's called a top liner who gets in studio and just sort of improvises over the existing chord structure. So you have a one, five, six, four. Each one gets two measures and the beat sounds cool. So, hey, they got one of the components right. Maybe the bass even sounds cool. And then the singer um, just improvises and, and comes up with an interesting top line, an interesting melody over the top of it. And then that becomes a song that then they they hand to the artist like, okay, here's what we're doing. Well, that's not how songs used to be written. It used to be that you would have a melody... And then you would go search out what the chord structure is supposed to be, but that left everything loose so that you could add a measure here or take something out there or find a new solution. That provides a really organic, lovely type melody. Whereas if you're just baked into the production value, you're like, well, this is what the beat is. I'm just looping it with my computer. Now sing over the top of that. That is a very compressed range of what you can do melodically because you're so constrained by this is the beat, this is the time, this is the structure that's already done. Um, it, it doesn't provide really good results. That's why, in my opinion, new songs don't stand the test of time very well. We have a very, very quick window in which a song rises and then falls three years, five years for you know, a worship song. They, they don't last as long as they used to. And I think as the production has gotten better, the basics of songwriting have been neglected. And this young crop of musicians only knows one way to do it. And so they keep writing lyrics, they keep writing melodies that are lackluster, and they're wondering what the problem is. Well, here's the short answer is sing it for an audience, and if they go with you, then it worked. And I'm not talking about a big audience, I'm talking about a living room. Like, if it doesn't work on a guitar or piano, it doesn't work. But here's the long answer for how to improve your composition skills, and it's a really simple one. This is the book that I started on when I was in middle school, Mel Bay's Grade 1 Guitar Method. This is the bottom rung on the ladder. You learn string by string, okay, this is an E string, these are the three notes on the E string, E, F, and G, and this is where it is on staff paper. I spent years in this book with my teacher. I would go over these very, very simple folk tunes like Amazing Grace, Red River Valley, you know, Shenandoah, that type of stuff. Really, really good, singable, memorable folk tunes. Now, I didn't realize that at the time. I was struggling with how to hold my instrument, how to play it, you know, just to tap my foot and play at the at the right time. And then Tom, my instructor, would, as I, as I came in each week, he would play the chords, he would give the harmony to my melody. And so I remember working on the melody by myself, I'm like, okay, I'm really struggling with these half notes or eighth notes or whatever. Then when I got it good enough, we would play it together, and I was just floored by how much music you got out of two instruments. You know, him playing the bass line on the guitar and adding top stuff and me playing the melody, it sounded like music. And maybe I was just really easily impressed, but it was so cool that we could do that with just two instruments. What I didn't realize that I was getting was a lot of exposure and even analyzing what makes a great melody by spending a lot of time with it at a young age. You know, I'd go through all of those simple folk tunes. They're not complicated. They're not rhythmically difficult but some of them are actually more harmonically complex than stuff that you'd hear on the Top 40 nowadays. All of that time spent with those melodies meant that I was soaking in what makes a good melody, what works and what doesn't. When I got into college, I started getting language for it. Oh, stepwise motion, etc., etc. But I had already had years of exposure to good, simple, old melodies that had stood the test of time because they were, you know, written around a campfire and people picked them up and wanted to keep singing them. So, if I were you, if I was a guitar player, or a piano player that has only learned block chords and, you know, that you kind of been playing in worship teams and that's your, your basic type stuff and you've never learned to read music, right now, go out and get yourself a grade one book and start learning your ABCs. Take the slow route and inundate yourself with good, simple melodies. Because guess what? Those are the melodies that people find singable and that they'll remember. You do that for a while, and you'll find that your songwriting improves. You have to get away from this modern way of of doing songs. That's not to say that you can't bring that back in, that you can't have some style and a good beat. Not at all. But you do need that foundation of what makes a melody singable and memorable. We've lost that and the tradition is available for 12 bucks online. So if you want to write a good, memorable, singable song, go back to basics and spend a while on composition, figuring out what makes those old melodies so lovely. So to recap, three tests that your song needs to pass before it's ready to record. Number one, does your second verse have anything new in it or is it just a rehash? In which case, go back to the drawing board. Number two, is your bass line interesting, or is it just vanilla and doesn't have any beat and there's no reason why people would want to move to it? Number three, is your melody singable and memorable? The short answer is, play it for a small group, and if it works, you'll feel it in the room. If it doesn't, you'll feel it in the room. The long answer is, if you want to improve in your composition, go back, learn to read music spend some time with some old melodies that were written before the modern era and your ear will get adjusted to what makes a good melody. Hey, I hope that video helps you and I hope that you keep writing and start to record some new music this year. All right, if you need help with your arranging, songwriting, or church sound, click on the link nearby, blueprintsounds.com forward slash worship booster pack. Until next week, God bless and goodbye.